Welcome to Beer Stories for Private Equity. Join us for our weekly happy hour, tapping into 27 years of PE experience, one pint at a time. Beer Stories for Private Equity is powered by Monogram Group. On today's show, we're excited to be joined by Joe Gaffigan as our guest, president and co-founder of O2 Sponsor Finance. And for Monogram Group, here's your host, Scott Markman. Please fasten your seatbelts. Welcome to our second episode of Beer Stories for Private Equity, our podcast that attempts to reveal the, the beautiful the, and the interesting side of private equity. In service of that, I've invited as our second guest, a longtime friend and colleague, Joe Gaffigan, to join us and to share some thoughts and a little bit of personal history. I've always enjoyed Joe's personal career arc and the things we have done together. I always found him to be one of the most <laughs> interesting clients that we have ever had in the agency, and that goes back uh, almost 35 years. So Joe, welcome to the program. Thanks, Scott. Uh, right back at you. I, uh... I was thinking about it. I think it's been 20 plus years uh, that we've known each other. And that's uh, really a testament to uh, our friendship and the great work you guys have done. Uh, we've done together over the years. But uh, looking forward to this chat. Uh, just a quick heads up to your listeners that my comments are not to be considered financial advice by me to anybody. But uh, looking forward to, uh, to our chat. Um, sure. Also, before we get into it, um, this is, by the way, not Joe Gaffigan doing this. This is our host, Scott Mark, been doing it. Um, and so um, I'm a huge fan of New Belgium, and this is 1985 IPA. And yes, I will be swigging just occasionally throughout the uh, the broadcast. So uh, uh, there we go. Love it. And yes, we are an agency, so we have branded glassware, and I will be uh, drinking um, as we go. Otherwise, it would be in violation of our own coda. I'm a water beer guy. I know I'm not supposed to be drinking, but... I, I think I'm okay with my Miller Lite anyways. So. Oh, Thank that's you. from that's from a third baseline <laughs> at Sox Park, I think. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's yeah. uh, get into it. Um, yeah. You've had a long career uh, providing credit into the world of private equity, uh, three decades uh, plus of leadership. Um, you went to Georgetown undergrad, uh, MBA from UFC, and then you've co-founded a couple of successive business units within big banks. Um, can you give the listeners just a few minutes on your career arc and you know some of the highlights and frankly, what's made it interesting for you? Yeah, I'd love to do it. It's funny. I, uh, I grew up, my dad was a banker and my uncle, both bankers in Chicago, Scott. So my dad was at uh, Central National and my uncle ran uh, Illinois State Bank. But uh, I was convinced I was going to go into banking for one year and then get a real job in death. Uh, here I am 30 years later. But I, I started out, and I'll give a quick overview, uh, 10 years at American National Bank, which is a great lower middle market bank in the city. Uh, I left there to go to Old Kent, who was buying banks in Chicago. Uh, and then Old Kent was bought by Fifth Third. So I spent uh, eight combined years there and built a really my first sponsor finance group there from scratch. You know, my market, and we're going to get into this, I'm sure, is uh, the lower middle market, which is companies with sales 10 to 100 million and 2 to 10 million of EBITDA. And we have a national focus where we're doing deals all across the US. I left Fifth Third 
and formed MFC Capital Funding, and that's where you and I got together. Right. That was backed by the Polad family, uh, the yep. family that owns the twins. And we spent six great years with the Polads, had a great run. And then I left and started uh, TCF Capital Funding for TCF Bank, a great 10-year run at TCF. TCF was bought by Huntington, and I ran the Huntington sponsor team for a short while before leaving to start O2 Sponsor Finance, which is a division of Old Second National Bank, about 18 months ago, and it's been a great uh, one-and-a-half-year run at Old Second. So there's a specificity to, I'll call it the you know business model, which is to create this dedicated group within a larger bank footprint that does you know loans into all kinds of things. So, g- give our listeners a little bit of a window into you know why why and how. I mean, there's a formula there that you've a little bit yeah. repeated over time. So it's a unique story. So why? Uh, it's a great question. A, a lot of lenders these days are focused on industries. Our focus and our niche has always been small companies. Um, so I think I, I saw this early in my career that there's a real opportunity as more private equity was going to these small companies to become a focused lender who provides the senior debt in those transactions. And it, it's it's a wonderful end of the market because there's so much equity capital and so many funds that have been raised that there's always a good uh, supply. And then there's a bunch of baby boomers who are now trying to sell their babies, their businesses. And so just a lot of deal volume, which in my business, you know, senior lender, you're not allowed to make mistakes is, is sort of how the math works. And uh, so that selectivity and that ability to see a lot of opportunities really has worked out well for us in our, in our you know, certainly where we are now and in prior stops. Um, and, and it's, I always say it's easy to, it's an easy market to fish in, Scott, because I can go to San Francisco and I know the top 10 lower middle market funds in San Francisco and I could call on them very quickly and easily and efficiently. And uh, um, so it, it, it's, it's great from that perspective. We say that we get probably half our deals where they call us and half our deals where we're out calling on them. So it, it's a wonderful market from that perspective because like I said, as a lender, you're not allowed to make mistakes really. So having that sort of broad, uh, you know, high number of opportunities really works out well. So what's interesting, you know, on a personal level relative to you know, your history, career arc and, and what you've sure. done and why is kind of what we've done. You know, I, I cut into private equity by yeah. accident, uh, you know, picked up a client called Enteris Capital and helped to pick the damn name. Um, and it was, I, I still I remember the pickup ad. I still remember the pickup ad. I just, I didn't, yeah. yeah, I'm not a finance guy. I, I didn't know any of this right. stuff. And here <laughs> it is 27 years later, and the client <laughs> count today is 85. But, wow. you know, there's a parallel there, which is that yeah, I kind of learned over time the dynamic of what individuals and firms were looking for. And that the more we got into it, the more we had the secret sauce, and, and there was a barrier to other agencies because the, the learning curve. Private equity is enormous, and you're kind of either part of the gang or you're not, and we've only deepened that ever since, and so it allowed us to quickly understand and serve the needs of individual clients like yourself or, you know, the next to the next. I I think that's a great point, and I I think what I always liked about it and what I was attracted to is 
the really strong companies are the ones that private equity wants to buy. They're the ones that do very well, that are pretty well run. And I, I like, <laughs> you know, I like uh, hanging out with smart people, right? So the private equity folks are really smart. Half our deals have mezzanine involved. They're really smart. The legal side is some of the best and brightest. So as a senior lender, we get a benefit from all the smart people in the room. All of it helps our due diligence, um, even though they're maybe looking more forward and we're looking more back, but it's it's very helpful. And more than anything else, it's interesting, right? So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It is really cool to go into these niche companies and have to do to learn about them to do your job. And right. so the unique nature of products and markets and channels and competitors and all of it to do either brand work or, you know, underwrite the lending is just, you have to go, you have to burrow into tiny companies that are interesting because if they weren't successful, private equity is not buying them, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's exactly right. You know, I've, uh, I think I've done a little over 4 billion in financing since I started it. <laughs> I've I've wow. financed uh, fortune cookie manufacturers, right? I I financed one of the startup uh, professional football leagues. I financed uh, a leading manufacturer of drive-through windows, right? So I mean, it's it's sort of all over the board, and I think that's what I got hooked on was that variety. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we uh, we just closed on another uh, food business in Florida that uh, has a, a niche business. So I mean, it's. It's those niches, you know, they, they say in niches, there are riches, but it's, that's what the private equity, especially in the lower middle market looks for is that niche business that is, is well run, but yet there's a lot of opportunities for the private equity group to, to improve it. So, so along, uh, Joe, along those lines, again, I'm, I'm fishing for an anecdote here without naming names and giving away, you know, trade secrets. Is there a story that stands out? the the arc of you know, of a deal and your involvement in it that is just like ripe for a great story there was a turning point an opportunity came up you solved a problem something that is going to be interesting for our listeners yeah i can think of a couple of things one one early in my career i i got referred into a mop business right and i was like what a mop business and uh this was a business, this was a long time ago, but they relied pretty heavily on advertising on TV. So I knew of this mop business. Company did 10 million in sales and the owner paid himself a million dollars. He was oh. selling mops. And, you know, so I just remember thinking, okay, uh, get rid of your preconceptions. You can make money at anything. And if you run it well and you manage it well, and this guy managed this business very well, um, it, you know, it, it can happen. I, I can think of another deal that um, uh, we financed with a really well-known private equity firm um, that uh, it was the deal before he started this well-known private equity firm. And it was in a very basic industry. I'll leave it at that. And I think he has made more money on this company that he bought and we financed pre his big private equity firm because he's he's just recapped it i think seven or eight times i mean the, this small business has done so well and he owns now you know all of it but you know so it's just fascinating i keep a little deal toy from that deal on my desk and uh 
just because it's, uh, you know, you, you hear the term cash cow, but this one, I, I, he still owns it, right? And he's a very successful uh, gentleman. But I, again, he's made more money on that one deal than he did on all his other private equity deals. Um, and, you know, great debt deal, but from him on the equity side, it's been wonderful. So, One of the things that I always admired about what you did, Joe, is, you know, you clearly sort of switched houses a few times, but you kept, a t- you kept your team together. And there was a lot of camaraderie and kind of loyalty and commitment to the cause and what you're trying to achieve and what how what success looks like. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit? Because again, I loved your team and I just thought it was an important part of your success. Yeah, it's uh, you know people people say that people matter, but boy, when you know you spend a lot of time at your job and I spent a lot of time at my job, and I think I learned fairly early that. You know, you wanna you wanna work with people that you respect and that you wanna hang out with, and uh, you know that's always been a big part of who we are is that we wanna have fun, enjoy each other, give each other the business sometimes, but you know respect each other of course. But it, you know, life is just too short, and if you're not if you're not having fun and you're working the hours that all of us work at whatever we love, it's. Uh, uh, you know, it's just that you're in the wrong place. But we we always have fun, and and of course, doing well is having fun too. But treating each other with respect, and and uh, you know, we do a lot of our a lot of our incentives are sort of group incentives, and I think that drives uh, 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 you know the right vibe. You know, incentives are are really interesting, but if they're properly set up. And they lead to the right outcomes, which I think we figured out pretty well here. It uh, it really can you know create something special. You know, uh, all these years later, um, one of the videos that we did together at TCF is one of my all time favorite pieces of content. And it was set up that it was sort of an ongoing narrative, and people were saying the same thing, but we cut from person to person to person, and they were kind of completing yeah. each other's thoughts, and then you stitched it together. It was only about a minute and fifteen. But it was such powerful communication, and there aren't a lot of grooves that I would have even thought to suggest this to, let alone execute it. And it came off so fluid and so natural that um, I still show it today uh, to to some prospects. Yeah, um, it was awesome. I want to switch gears for a second um, yeah. because there are some uh, industry topics that you have have identified that uh, you know we thought would be of interest um, to our listeners. And so one of the uh, topics that you had suggested that we talk a little bit about is the rise of independent sponsors in the lower middle market. And so what's driving that and how are they succeeding given the, I'll call it the uphill battle that an independent sponsor walks into? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, over the last 10 years, that to me, that's probably the number one change in the private equity world is the rise of the independent sponsors. And like a lot of things in life, uh, we change the name of things, right? Like workout groups are special assets or, uh, you know, they come up with creative names, but independent sponsors used to be fundless sponsors, which <laughs> maybe is a little more accurate. Like you don't have a fund, but you want to buy my business. I mean, that that's a crazy concept, it's a, it's right? A, it's, a, it's a smart orphan is what it is. <laughs> it is. It is. Exactly. Independent sounds much better. And I think even I underestimated the ability and again, I think the incentives that an independent sponsor has, since he or she doesn't have a fund where they're getting a management fee and have an, an income, there's a real incentive 
to go get a company that you like, get it under LOI, and then then you're going to get a management fee and you can live on that management fee. But until you do that, you know, it's sort of like the the salesperson who has no salary, right? It's it really forces that independent sponsor to hit the road and find the the the, the company that's going to work. And what what's really happened is they they to a great extent become the sales force for funded sponsors or they become narrowly focused on certain industries where they bring that expertise to play. And, uh, you know, we now go to uh, the McGuire Woods Conference in Dallas each year. There's a thousand independent sponsors at this conference. I mean, it's- Just independent sponsors. Just independent sponsors. Oh my God. I think I got to be there. Yeah, exactly. Um, When you think about sort of, you know, the broad arc of interest rates going up and we had some hiccups with some banks going under this year. Yeah. How has that impacted, you know, not only what you guys do, but I'll call it the market in general, the lower middle market. You know, it's funny. The uh I think one of the again, one of the benefits of the lower mid market, those companies ten to hundred million in revenue. Uh, there's been a lot of activity and increased private equity buyers, but what hasn't changed is the amount of leverage that's being put on these businesses. Uh, when I started, you know, 30 years ago, they were putting leverage on in the twos, you know, so they're buying the business for five, six, seven times of putting senior leverage on in the twos and maybe a turn of leverage of mezzanine. So you're in the threes. Um, so that, that really has never changed regardless of how the economy is doing. But in the middle market, and when you read the journal, there's five times leverage and there's six times leverage. And so in the simplest sense, and I was trying to keep it simple, with all these rate increases, those middle market deals have really quieted down and to a certain extent stopped because there just wasn't enough room in that structure. But down where we are, where you're modestly levered to begin with, you can withstand these rate increases and still have good uh, liquidity and good debt service, which is always an important part. So we've seen things slow down a little bit, Scott, but uh, and I think if rates continue, and we'll, we'll see what the Fed does, we'll, we'll probably see a continued slowdown. But the benefit of the lower middle market, there's so many deals, and 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 with so many different stripes and and spots that there's still good opportunities that make sense from a debt and equity side. So, and and that's where our deal flow comes into play. So I, I still feel pretty positive that the lower mid market is uh, going to be okay. I want to switch gears for a second and go into yeah. some, you know, some aspects of your personal life. I know you're a longtime member of YPO. So, what do you, what does that, you know, do for you? I mean, I know a lot of guys in YPO. It's a great group, but you know, just yeah. from a personal uh, perspective, you know, what does what does it mean to you? How does it help you, post personally and professionally? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I've been in YPO thirteen or fourteen years, and uh, honestly, I. I think I was initially attracted to it because, boy, look at these cool trips they go on and all these boondoggles <laughs> and everything. But, but the reality is, it's it's a big self help group, and uh, uh, I, I I certainly can use all the self help I can get, right? And uh, it, the the best part of YPO is what they call forum. So I have a a seven person forum, which is really like a personal board of directors, and we meet every month and. Uh, it's it's uh, really transformative. It's uh, not only do you develop uh, unbelievable relationship, but these people are your peers, 
and they face similar issues in their industry and they're leaders of some amazing businesses. And so it's been, uh, it's been awesome. Yeah. It's really, uh, impactful. The, uh, the second thing I wanted to talk with you about is that I know you're a big charity and give back person. I know that sure. the school that you, you and your, your sibling went to, I think in Indiana, you've been a big contributor yeah. to. So again, personal, you know, perspective, you know, why do, what do you get out of it and what motivates you? Yeah, I think, I think from a relatively early age, I realized I was pretty blessed when it came to education, right? You mentioned Georgetown and UFC and La Lumiere, which is my high school. And uh, so I've always been uh, uh, intrigued by education and had the opportunity to, uh, a while ago, to chair the board of my high school and, and assist them with the capital campaign. And just being involved behind the scenes is fascinating. And then the other thing that I've spent a lot of time on, uh, not as much lately, but historically I was uh, involved with Link Unlimited, which is a wonderful organization in Chicago that that focuses on uh, scholarships and mentoring for uh, African-American high school students in the city's south and west sides. So I mentored, me and my wife mentored and, and provided scholarships to four different kids uh, just a fascinating experience. And, and, you know, the money is one thing, but the mentoring, the four years of mentoring them through high school mm -hmm. and realizing these kids are unbelievably talented and, uh, getting them exposed to my kids. So again, just a, uh, an amazing experience, uh, just working with great organizations. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, I want to end with, you know, my favorite piece about you and, um, it's, I've long joked that Joe Gaffigan is the funniest man in banking and, and it's not by accident because he comes from a, uh, you know, a family where I'm sure humor was, uh, an important aspect of things. You know, yeah. Joe's brother, uh, Jim is a world famous, you know, comedian and, um, and what's like, what's the background and, and what's it like growing up with, uh, a brother that um, you can walk down the street and you know nine billion people know. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's sort of beyond what I ever thought, right? Like he and I, he went to Georgetown too. He had to transfer in. I got in right away, but uh, <laughs> that's all I got on him, really. But he's um, it's been amazing to watch his trajectory and how he's handled it. And uh, you know, he has a big family now, but he was six of six i was five of six kids and you know we were a big irish catholic family and if you wanted to talk at dinner you had to have something interesting to say and jim always was fearless and uh um but i and, and then I, I think there's a gaffigan worth ethic worth ethic and uh jim you don't think about this in comedy but yeah i mean the the work ethic is amazing and he worked at it for 10 years before he had any real uh, success and uh, now it's just every year it gets bigger. Like the fact that he's doing a show at United Center with Seinfeld, well, you know, is mind-boggling to me. Awesome. Well, Joe, we are out of time. I, we, you and I, if we were in the same room, could um, <laughs> be sharing more beer and and sure. going off about um, sports, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I want to be respectful of um, your time and our listeners' time. But thank you so much. This was such a pleasure and great yeah, to Thank you so much for uh, asking me to join you and good luck with the podcast. And uh, hopefully this doesn't ruin it. But uh, no. All right, Joe. All right. Thanks we'll so much. Soon. Thanks so much. All right.
From all of us at Monogram Group, thanks for listening to Episode 2 of Beer Stories for Private Equity. Please hit the subscribe button and you'll know as soon as new Beer Stories for Private Equity episodes are released. Don't forget to check out the show notes for a quick episode recap. And if you have any questions or recommendations on future episodes, our email is podcast at monogramgroup.com.